Hello, monkeys, and welcome to the Monkey Business Show. I'm Aaron Hodges, along with Eric Salzman and Richie Bennett. How are you? Pretty good. Nice to see that you're home from your world travels, Richie. I am. I am. Uh, I must must warn you, um, I will be traveling again. Um, I know I have penciled in the uh, calendar Thursday to uh, inspect the economy in Kentucky uh, next, next week. Uh, they have a little horse track called Keeneland, which is open for just a special meet starting tomorrow till the 23rd of April, just a three-week meet. And then they go to Churchill Downs, where the famous Kentucky Derby race will happen on May 1st. But I'll be casing out the Keeneland joint next uh, Thursday through Sunday, where I hear they have uh, bourbon. They make bourbon in Kentucky. Uh-huh, uh-huh. There's always a technicality. I, I, I joined Richie at least three times on the uh, the dry the dry Lent, no, no drinking for Lent. Mm-hmm. And our difference was always this. Lent ends today. Holy <laughs> Thursday is the end of Lent. Okay, all right. My cutoff period was when I'd been sundown on, on, on Thursday was that's when I, I would begin drinking, where Richie takes it all the way through the yeah the, the big weekend Good Friday and then Easter Sunday and Holy Saturday and then he you start on Monday yes and I have gotten a few texts this morning actually um, asking me about that technicality mm-hmm. will you be will you be falling off the wagon today Richie <laughs> I haven't responded because I don't need to you're re- I feel <laughs> like you're a ringleader of alcoholics that's it that's right they um so one of my old pals. Uh, We'll call him Pops. Pops up, is from Pops? Buffalo. Pops is down here now, retired. And he used to talk about how um, up in Buffalo with the Irish and the Polish community, very Catholic, they would all do the same. A lot of them would do the same. And you're talking about a lot of firefighters, policemen, and the like. So it had to be pretty tough. And uh, he said that the local priest knew like so many guys were doing this. And girls. And during a sermon, like halfway through or something, he wouldn't like specify a date. Obviously, I think they gave him St. Patrick's Day as a, a freebie. <laughs> but he would like, because I guess the local taverns were hurting so much for business, the priest on like the end of the sermon would say like, okay, on Thursday, I talked to Jesus. Uh, everything is good. You guys can drink again. And I was like, that is fabulous. He goes, these guys like, show up 10 deep. On Thursday, and they'd be like, oh, Father uh, Newman said, uh, you know, Thursday was good. We're good. And they would get smashed and, like, be erect the next, you know, three days. But then keep it going. <laughs> they don't have that in Florida. Maybe a, a erect is a poor choice of words when you're talking about a priest. But uh, that's neither here right. nor there. Um, so we do have – the show is growing, guys. And I just found out uh, the other day that we are the 49th ranked podcast in investing – in Russia. Yes. Yes. So I don't speak any Russian, but hello yeah. to all our Russian listeners. Yeah. I, I had a feeling you could pick me up there. Yep. I speak Russian language. <laughs> <laughs> two years, of, two years of college. That's about all I can remember. Oh, you took it? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I was never fluent in it, but I could read it and you know, Read it like on a third grade level and speak it like on a kindergarten level. Gotcha. Unless so, I got hammered. I actually went there. I went there for three weeks in 1990. Really? And, uh, yeah. 
And it was amazing how after alcohol is introduced, how all of a sudden I was speaking to Russian people. And I believe we were, I believe if I remember correctly, we were speaking some, some Russian. Yeah. And you probably English, a lot of Russian best friends to this day. Probably. Ah. <laughs> so since the show is growing so much, I figured, and we're going to go uh, like with some nostalgia stories today based on some of the stuff that's happening right now, currently, uh, kind of parallel universe here. Figured it'd be a good idea for us to just kind of introduce ourselves again to the audience, where we come from, how we come together, all that stuff. So I'll start back in, I guess, back in 2007 is when my career in media begins with an internship at Sirius XM Radio, the Howard Stern Show. And eventually I get hired at Sirius XM. And I'm a producer, a board op, a show host, all these things. Eventually, programming shows and then in 2017 i strike out on my own with a company called you lucky dog productions which produces comedy albums and we're getting into the podcast game baby we're getting into the podcast game so watch out a new frontier um so during that time is where i met you guys on a show called stand up with pete dominic where you guys were regular guests you came in and and schooled us all on all these things financial that are way above our heads. So that's that's how I meet you guys. That's my brief summary of where I come from in this thing. Both Eric and I can speak for both of us in this angle. Uh, we're Wall Street veterans who have now uh, moved on to uh, spread the word, if you will, of uh, what goes on financially uh, and help you learn stuff and have a little fun. My background is in uh, derivative bonds, and spent a long time there, which is always an interesting market. And uh, derivatives have come up uh, this week, and we will get into that in a second. Maybe not with bonds, but with stocks. We can peel that off. And uh, we, um, you know, we strive to uh, let people learn, make people understand what really is going on versus what you might read or not read or hear or not hear. And uh, we're having a good time doing it. Yeah, it's funny. Um I was thinking about this today because we're going to talk about our uh, the, the fabulous years of 2008 and 2007. And um, I was on uh, when Richie and I kind of started out with our, the monkey business. We were doing the blog and we were doing we, 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 we were ahead of our time. Right. Because we were making shows for YouTube, like real shows. Yeah. Like yeah. In the back of back of Rothman Steakhouse, you know, they rich. Richie was good buddies with them, so we used to get like the back. Then we get the back room, the wine room, beautiful room on Sunday if Sunday afternoons, right, Richie? So because they didn't they didn't do lunch. They they, they didn't right. They didn't do lunch on Sundays. So as far they used to send a guy down to open the doors up for us, and they they trusted us so much. They actually you know, the bar is sitting right there and everything. As far as I know, we never we never poured ourselves any drinks. <laughs> um, but no, we we were so we were really if if if. YouTube and podcasts were like where they are now. We'd probably been doing this for for ten years. Like I just, it, it just amazes me. We we were I, I, we were we were we were definitely ahead of our ahead of our time, um, which sometimes isn't good because sometimes you, you're, you're too early. You don't you know you don't get. But when um, I was booked on a show called Red Eye with uh, Greg, was it Greg Gutfeld? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I went on the show and you have to, uh, yeah, you have to, you know, they, they know your background and everything. And at a certain point that he had a very funny guy, he would just do like a deadpan. Like he was like a, like almost like a, an, a news anchor man who just reads the news. 
and he introduced all the guests somewhere in the middle of the show. And he said, uh, Eric Salzman, you specialize in mortgages and derivatives, and you've worked at Bear Stearns and Freddie Mac, and you, and you specialize in mortgages and derivatives. Eric, why do you hate our country? <laughs> so that's that. that yeah, just that, 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 that's that's my background prior to doing this um, too. So that was a, uh, uh, but it was funny. And that and that and um, Stephen Ross uh, stole uh, stole stole my joke in the green room. That was the other. That was the other thing. Stephen Ross. Isn't that the comedian Steve Ross? Stephen you mean Ross? Jeff Ross? Jeff, Jeff Ross. Ross. Fuck him. He stole my joke. He's, he's Steve now. Did he really? Do you remember the joke? Yeah. They, you know, when you go on that show, I don't know if I've only been on one show like that. They they, they send you what they're going to talk about. Yeah. And then you, you, but they have you write like an hour, a few hours before, this is what I'm going to say. Right. Which I guess that means that Greg or Glenn, he could, he could lift, he, he could lift anything that he kind of finds funny. He could take that for himself. So one of the one of the things he wanted us to opine on was Carl Rove. Remember the political operative, the guy behind guy got George Bush elected, mm-hmm. George W. He was speaking somewhere, and the pink ladies. Remember the pink ladies? Like they were they they come with the the protests. Yeah, one of them it. one of them made a run at Carl Rove on the podium, and he just caught her like with a perfect shoulder to the chest and just sent her flying. <laughs> I think I said something like that's the best open ice hit I've seen since, you know, like, like a hockey open ice hit since, you know, the time that Scott Stevens did this or whatever it was. And I said that before the show went on, I was, we were talking with Ross and whoever else was there. And then I'm sitting there watching him as he repeats my joke. <laughs> and I'm like professional comedian. And you, yeah. I have one freaking joke. I'm like the wall street guy. And you still have my fucking joke. Comedians are a funny lot, man. Uh, <laughs> they will get all up in arms if somebody steals their joke, but they'll be pretty, you know, they could sometimes lift a, a thing here or there. That isn't necessarily theirs. That's for sure. Yeah. That's funny. That brings us to present day. So Richie, you're basically an independent day trader at this point. Correct. Don't forget the trailer parks. Oh, uh, you know, and alternative the, investments as well. And the, hor- and the horses. And the horses. <laughs> and Eric, what are you doing right now? So I, uh, I, I started my own business with, uh, with a good buddy of mine, another Wall Street guy. And um, when you see these big antitrust, suit, financial antitrust suits, um, usually it'll be the plaintiffs, the people suing. It's been generally suing. Goldman and JP Morgan and Deutsche and all the rest of the big, big banks. And our clients are, well, our, our, our clients are law firms, but their clients are generally pension funds, uh, money. We call that the buy side. So it's basically the sell side are the defendants and the buy side. They are, like I said, they're, they're big pension funds, um, you know, money managers, sometimes individuals that add on. But so what we do is we, we kind of do what Richie and I do here is where we demystify things where they'll say, what does that, you know, what, what does this mean guys? And we'll sit there and tell them what it means. Do you have a case? Yeah, I think you do have a case. If you put me in a deposition and I'm the defendant, here's what I would do to kind of take your case apart. So we, we kind of, that industry was always dominated by you know, academics, uh, mostly academics and a lot of, a lot of math and they lead with math and academia first, where my partner and I really lead more with we we know the markets, we know what we, we know what means what. 
with regards to the case and with regards to what people did or didn't do and whether it's fair or not. We have all the math we want to go with it because remember Dr. Richard Dwan um, that was on the show the uh, for the high frequency trading. Richard's basically he's a PhD from MIT and he does he does the math for us. All the credentials. He's also a doctor. Jeez. <laughs> and, a, and a Chinese math Olympian, um, but so that's uh, you know that that's my main business now, and we've grown it from you know I, I kind of stopped doing the Wall Street thing altogether in 2018. Now I'll, I'll never be allowed to go back after this. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so that's uh, we've built that into it's just a two two man operation right now, and third with Richard, and uh, we, we we we're doing we we've, we've done pretty well in, in two and a half years. We've really grown it a lot, and. Um, you know, I, I, I look at this as a business. I look at, uh, you know, there's, there's other stuff that I, that I do. But I think Richie and I have both gotten the, the freedom to do, you know, we can do a lot of things. And there's no reason to do a straight nine to five anymore or a, a trading desk job. Uh, so, you know, it's all, all uh, knock on wood working out. And uh, the key, too, is just because we're not sitting at a desk from nine to five, we're always, always chasing the mighty dollar. We're always trying to figure out ways to to make money for you that listen and us that follow our own advice. Unlike some of these cats that just tell you to do things and don't do it with their real money. We're doing it with our real money. But, yeah, we're always trying to find an angle, a way to, you know. They say that markets are efficient, meaning it's tough to make money because everybody has the same information and some people these days with, the speed at which news travels, get that information before you do as an individual. But there are certain opportunities. Um, you know, you'll see it if you've been following. Thank you. But it, it's stuff that we tend to focus on stuff that might be off the radar for a lot of people. You know, I, I laugh a lot of times at, um, you know, and I don't want to pick on certain people, but, you know, like this arc investments this Kathy Wood she's killed it right she's been killing it like best mutual funds returns all of last year I mean ridiculous people got super duper wealthy with her but you look at her portfolio and it's like okay Tesla okay Amazon okay Microsoft like I sometimes sit there and go well, why, why do I have to pay somebody to buy those stocks. Like I can't buy those stocks myself for free because you know she's charging and she's taking a piece of the profits that she makes on you. You know, so a lot of these experts just happen to be in the right place, right time. And they're not saying that they're not good and they don't take risk and they got big iron balls. But, you know, it. it, it for example, this year that fund that Kathy Wood has isn't doing so hot. How come? Tesla's down mm. in 2021. Right. Here's something that happened this week, Richie. Remember this? So, and we'll get it. We're going to get into the whole um, uh, Bill Wang, uh, Arquigo story. But uh, so all the, ba- like the big banks were getting hammered on Monday. It was a Monday, mm. Monday and Tuesday were getting hammered because they've all, a lot of them are losing like, like credit Swiss may have lost $5 billion in, in this latest uh, disaster. And uh, Goldman's involved, Morgan Stanley. All. So anyway, all the all the big banks were getting clobbered. 
And immediately, Richie and I, and I both, I think we said it both at the same time as we, as we often do with a lot of things. Um, our wives, our wives are always kind of raising their eyebrows because we're always finishing each other's sentences. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of adorable. But, but uh, <laughs> we're like, is PNC down? Is, you know, that, and that's uh, Richie's, Richie's mentor is the guy who runs that bank. And, uh, and Richie, and, you know, we've touted that bank on the show and it's done very well. And immediately, like, ooh, PNC's down 5% or something like that. PNC doesn't do this jazz. Like, that guy who runs that bank would never get involved with this nonsense. So buy PNC because you because you know that they're not they're not in that business line, and you also know from the management they would never get themselves into this. We got in around one seventy one when it went down, and it was trading around one seventy eight yesterday. So you know that's like to us like that that's easy money, right? When you when you know something, and again, it's not like inside information. It's just that when you see everybody get pasted. Because that's what's going to happen. Like the whole sector is going to get pasted. Just because they're a bank, they take a hit. Right, right, right. And big bank. So, so anyway, that's just kind of the stuff that we can do because we just have been doing it for 30, 35 years. We know, we know most of the players. I'd say we've seen just about every potential disaster. But this, this last one was like this last one that we'll talk about. Yeah. No one is like I've never heard more Wall Street guys say. I've never seen anything like this before. Like, like after 08, after last year, after 98, like everything, after Enron, after WorldCom, all that shit, the dot-com boom, I've never seen anything like this before. Like, Do you want to jump into it now? Yeah, sure. All right. Um, the headline here is Deutsche Bank from Bloomberg. Deutsche Bank dodged $4 billion Archigo. Bullet mm-hmm. with quick sale. I want to pronounce it like Manchego, like the cheese, but uh, I'm told it's Arch Ego. I like Arch Ego. Hey, don't worry. It's, they're done anyway. You can call them whatever you want. No, it's just a ragman. That's what they are. Deutsche Bank AG sold about $4 billion of holdings seized in the implosion of Arch Ego's capital management in one large private deal on Friday, helping it emerge unscathed from a scramble that may cost some rivals billions of dollars. The Arch Ego's margin call, one of the biggest in history, could cause as much as $10 billion of losses. Let me chime in real quick on that, uh, that headline. Yeah. Um, it's a weird time when, and you know, you know, these guys at Deutsche Bank are doing like, the hippie hop dance in their sleep, in their waking hours, in their whatever, because they avoided this catastrophe that hit others that we will get into in a second. Um, You know, it's a weird time. Notice it didn't say they made money. Yeah, right. right. They They averted a loss. Yeah, yeah. So when you're cheering for averting a loss, you know there's some, interesting times yeah. because the whole game on wall street is to make, but sometimes the best trades you have are the ones that don't make, but the ones that don't lose. Mm-hmm. And now we can go into one of Eric's former employers, credit Suisse. Yes. Um, couldn't happen to a nicer bunch of nicer bunch of folks. <laughs> um, so, so Bill Wang. Today, this is my guest, Mr. Wang. No offense. He uh, worked for one of the fathers of the hedge fund industry, Julian Robertson. And Julian Robertson ran a big hedge fund back 
way years ago. I'm talking about like I think Julian Robertson got out in '98, right? So he was one of the original. When hedge funds were not now, they're a dime a dozen. Back then, there were there were not that many. You probably could count up to Richard. What do you think? Twenty, fifty, maybe at the yeah, most, and, and maybe twenty that really mattered. And this was one of them. And all of the guys that worked for uh, Julian Robertson when Robertson closed up shop. He seeded a bunch. He gave each one of them a certain amount of capital to start their own hedge fund, and they were called the Tiger Cubs. And so, one of the Tiger Cubs was this fellow Bill Wang. And Bill Wang has always had well, he any first name anybody who has to come out and say they're a man of God isn't right. <laughs> um, unless <laughs> if if he's not if he's not washing people's feet in Bangladesh, that you're not you know if you're a Wall Street guy and you say you're a man of God, you know. You know pretty high standard there. yeah you could be a man of god on wall street but you're not running around and saying uh <laughs> so anyway bill wang always had a reputation of that he was a guy who dealt in inside information that that's what he did which is what a lot of these guys do that's the alpha of how they make money is they they get in they get information before other guys get it and they trade on it so sometimes sometimes illegal sometimes yeah, not. sometimes illegal and we'll get yeah so so uh, Bill Wang started up this, uh, this, this fund, and um, it was doing well. And then in 2008, he blew up. Um, he basically was involved in the GameStop of the last decade, which was Volkswagen. Um, the market was incredible, and Bill Wang was very short Volkswagen. He was a short seller. And um, what happened was, if you remember, all of a sudden Porsche came in. One day, like on a Sunday, and said, "Hey, we've amassed a seventy-five percent stake in Volkswagen," which meant that there was there was no stock you know, there was no stock out there. Basically, Vol- Porsche owned all the stock, and the Volkswagen went. I think it went up three hundred percent or something in one day, and all the short all all the all the short sellers got destroyed. And he was he was one of them. So he blew up in that that one. It was the Volkswagen affair of two thousand and eight. Google that one and read about it a little more if you want. And then, but he says still somehow stayed in the game. And in 2012, he settled with, uh, I believe, the SEC for $60 million on, on an insider for, uh, for wire fraud, which was he was trading on inside information. So here's a guy. Now, what happens when these guys have a lot of money, like the current Nets owner, Steve, Steve Cohen, when now Steve Cohen didn't get busted, but he was about to get busted. Like he was, they were, they were working their way up the ladder at SAC and eventually he was going to get it for insider trading. Yeah. Right. So eventually what they do is they they have enough money. They say, okay, you know what? I'll just manage my own money. Right. And we'll call it a family office. And that's what, that's when Steve Cohen went from SAC capital to 0.72. It's a family office. Um, Bill Wang did the same thing. He he created this Archegos or Archegos. I can't even pronounce it either. Like I said, it's over. So screw him. Um, he started his own family office, and he was allowed to trade. He was like, because he's not handling anybody else's money yet. Over time, from 2013 on, he started actually taking investor money again, which I still don't know how he did that. Now, back up real quick. When yeah. you say he opened up a family office, that yeah. seems like an important distinction. What does that mean? It means you're managing your own fortune. So you're not... You're not managing my money or Richie's money or your money. You're not. I'm not taking outside investors. I'm just managing. This is my money or my. And, and that's a lot of family offices are really very wealthy families, right? right? That, that yeah, that, 
that basically say, you know what, like we can, and that's that, and that's different than these guys. These guys want to stay in the, fund, the hedge fund business. They just can't. So they they basically say, okay, I, I have enough money where I can do all the same things and manage my own money. And once you get to a few billion, it's like, you know, who needs a who needs any outside money? Right. Um. So the the only people you can hurt are your potentially your counterparties, which is what happened. So does that make the dad answer the question? Yeah. About family? So, yes. yeah. so there's families out there that have nothing to do with trading, but they have a few billion dollars and they hire a professional crew to basically manage that money and Got to, it. To Got actively it. manage that money. So what Bill Wang ended up doing. So, so, so Bill Wang is still trading. Everyone's trading with him. And, uh, and a lot of compliance folks were telling their business folks like, don't trade with this guy. He's a bad guy. Like, you know, yeah, we're making, you're going to make money now, but bad things are going to happen. And, you know, uh, so what happened Friday, last Friday is uh, a friend of ours emailed me or texted me and said, I just lost a shitload on Viacom. What happened? He goes, I don't know what happened. The freaking stock dropped like 30% today. I, I had sold, I had sold put options to, that I would I would buy the stock at sixty nine if it if it went there. And this was just last week. Yeah, this was last Friday. And he uh, he goes, the stock is at forty four dollars right now, down thirty percent of the day. I'm like, oh, what's up with that? So I just do some investigation for him because it hasn't really hit the it's hit the news that Viacom was down and uh, and Discovery was down and Shopify and and, and it was it was activity going on with a few of these big Chinese tech stocks that trade here in the U.S. I'm going to blame the never-ending loop of ridiculousness that they just play on MTV. I think that's what it is. <laughs> what, what a god-awful show. And, and, and keep in mind, keep in mind, those stocks, so when you first saw that, those stocks over the last couple of weeks had flown higher. Yeah. So at first, if you're looking at that, you're like, wow, Viacom went all the way to almost 100 bucks. It, from doubled, like, in a, it doubled in a month, right? Yeah, and it was like in the 20s, right. right? So it went to 100 bucks. So when you first see that, your reaction might be, all right, somebody who made a lot of money is taking his profits right. or her profits, right? They're just like, okay, they, they had their run, and uh, you know, it's, it's not unlike GameStop, right? GameStop went up, and then it went down, right? Like people took – somebody was selling so you yeah. just sit there and you're like, okay. And then all, like Eric said, there were a few others that this was happening to. And it's like, well, what's going on? So continue, yeah. please. Yeah, there was. So so what what, it, what was happening, so I went on to Bloomberg and they said large, like, like abnormally large block trades have gone through on, on, and one of them was Viacom. Now, what a block trade is, is big institutions, what they tend to do now when they trade stocks, like somebody wants to buy, you know, a hundred million of a particular a particular stock, it, it doesn't happen on the exchange anymore. It happens. It's called these block trades, which generally a Wall Street fund will get in the middle. I have two hundred million dollars of a stock I, I want to sell, and maybe we've been working all week on it. And they'll line up a buyer. We'll negotiate a price. Generally, the buyer is going to buy the stock for less than he's going to get a concession for taking such a large position. He's going to, let's say the stock's trading at 50, he's going to buy the lot. He's going to take it off the lot at like 47, right? The trade. Now, once the trade is consummated, 
then it hits the, it has to be reported to the tape immediately. So you, it becomes, it becomes a publicly known trade when, after it happens. So you don't see like some dude offering $200 million of stock on the exchange. It's, it's a negotiated trade. And then the street makes a lot of money doing this is one of the ways that the street, the street makes money. Um, and there's only a, there's, there's like really a handful, we'll call it 25, 30 institutions in the world who could, could really take down these gigantic blocks of, of stock. So they were talking about, and it was mysterious. No one knew except that guys kept saying, I've never seen this before. The amount of shares in, in like very concentrated in these Chinese technology companies in five or six and about four, um, it was Discovery, uh, Viacom, Shopify, and somebody else. Maybe that was it. Maybe it was just three U.S. stocks. Hit the market like unprecedented. Wow, what's going on? And then over the weekend, reading, and Nomura comes out and says, Nomura is a big Japanese brokerage firm and, and bank. They said that uh, they, they with a, 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 taking a loss with a specific client for could be up to $2 billion. Whoa, what's going on, right? And then it's us coming out, who it is, what happened. And very quickly, you started seeing that it was this guy, Bill Wang. And what Bill Wang did was he wanted to own these nine stocks. And that's a very concentrated position, nine stocks. And he wanted to own a lot of them. He wanted exposure to a lot of them. And what you normally would do is you'd buy the stock, right? Well, if you, you, you know, you're a hedge fund, you buy the stock and maybe you go and you, you certainly got to borrow money to buy more stock. You can leverage yourself up. And that's what all these guys, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Credit Suisse, Nomura, Deutsche Bank, um, Mitsubishi, uh, um, Mizuho, and I think Wells, they're all like, you'll go to your, they all were prime brokers of this guy, meaning that's, they're like the bankers for this guy. When he, when he wants to borrow money to buy stock or to, if I'm going to short a stock, you lend me the stock. Like that, that's what a prime broker does. So normally if Bill Wang wanted to, you know, buy a bunch of these, buy the companies, buy a significant stake in the companies, he would buy the stock and borrow to buy more stock. But once you buy more than 5% of a company, you have to file what's called the 13D with the SEC which announces to the world that you are now a significant, you own 5% or more of this stock. So think about it. We're not talking about, you know, pet.com. We're talking about Viacom. This guy amassed a position of over 10% in each one of these stocks, each one. And highly leveraged, meaning he, he borrowed a lot of money to do this. But the added wrinkle to it, well, that's bad enough, right? Because... At least if you knew that this guy was a big owner, 10, because he had to file a 13D, if he was a 10, 10% owner of the stock, and you said, who the, who the hell is Ar- Archegos? And who, who's, who's Bill Wang? Like, oh, this guy borrowed a lot of money to do this? Well, this guy could become a forced seller if something bad happens, and all of a sudden the stock, instead of going down 10% one day, can go down 30% like it did. Right. Because you, you probably wouldn't buy the stock, right? Because you're like, the, the, the stock is not in the hands of, of, of uh, Vanguard, it's not in the hands of Fidelity. It's not in the hands. Of, it's it's in the hands of somebody who's trading it and need, will need to get out. But he's under the radar, right? Because of what? Because of what? Uh, derivatives, right? Aha! So, what Bill Wang did with each one of these guys is he did what's called the total return swap. Richie and I, we did a lot of that in CIBC. 
Well, the Canadian bank, sorry, not Super. Um, so, but not in this. So what he did was he said, look, they said, look, we'll, we'll buy the stock. Like Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley, Credit Suisse, we will, we will put the, the, the stock on our balance sheet. You put up collateral. So if you want to leverage this thing, you know, 10 times, meaning you buy one unit, one unit's your money, your capital, the other nine units, borrowed money. We can create that through a derivative. Well, we're going to replicate what it'll be like if you own the stock yourself, but we own it, right? And, and, you're, and you're going to post collateral with us. So if the stock goes up, we pay you. The stock goes down, you pay us. You're going to pay us because you're going to pay us for structuring this thing. You're going to pay us because we have this on our balance sheet. We have to fund it. So you pay us funding. And when the stocks pay dividends, we'll pay you the dividends, right? So it's, it's just like owning the stock, except you don't have to file a 13D. So no one, when you look at the holders, and I could do it on Bloomberg every quarter, you can see the holders of the stock. After the fact, when you look at it, you're like, look at that. Credit Suisse was number three. Goldman, Morgan Stanley, all these guys own that. And that doesn't happen. Like when you pull up, like, so I said, pull up Comcast. There's not a Wall Street firm in the top, maybe in the top 15, maybe they're in the 15th place. None of those guys are in the top 10. It's all the big funds and the big, huge institutional money, the guys who own the stuff to own it, right? Not you know, index funds, things like that, not to trade it. So what we think happened was, and Viacom started going down. And remember, Richie said Viacom went way up. And this is this was probably, this was obviously part of that trade. So we think what's ha- what's coming out now, and the, now the SEC is monitoring this. They're very good at monitoring things after <laughs> after the shit hits the fan. Now they're monitoring this, and they're, they're calling all the banks to the carpet now. What what did you guys do? So what happened was, now I'm reading about this now, so I think there's more to it. Just that the stock went down, and they made a collateral call, and this guy couldn't make the call, so they all ran out and sold the stock. I don't think that each one of them didn't know that everyone else was involved and he was doing the same trades with six other guys and that he was this leveraged and this concentrated. And again, this is not proven yet, but I have heard that he may have been posting the same collateral, the same. So in other words, I got a hundred bucks. I'm going to post it with you. And then I'm going to tell Richie, I'm going to take the same hundred dollars and post it with six guys as collateral, which is like uh, somebody, uh, somebody, uh, likened it to the producers remember because the producers sold like a thousand shares of the of the of the, of the play uh-huh and when the sec called these guys they actually started talking and the regulators they started talking about this last week i think they all looked around and said holy shit like we gotta get, we gotta blow this thing out and so they all got together apparently they, all of them the guys all got in a room or on virtual calls whatever and they all said and i think credit swiss was like yeah, let's uh, let, let's try to do this quietly. You know, like we got to get out. It's a monster trade. If we all try to get out, we're all going to lose money. And let's try to do this quietly, and we'll leak. You know, we'll unwind these positions slowly. And Goldman, Morgan Stanley, and Deutsche Bank apparently said, "Yeah, oh, well, let's do that. Sell, sell." So while all of a sudden Goldman's out, Morgan Stanley's out, Deutsche Bank, we, we're taking de minimis losses. Which means that Nomura is sitting there, Credit Suisse, the rest of the guys are sitting there, and they and, and they they're, they're done. Like they basically fuck. All right, they 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 they, they, they were not. They, they, you want to be first, not last. And these guys all ended up last, and that's how they lost all this money. 
it's a derivative, right? So that that makes it a little tricky and fancy. If you were to buy, if let's say you were Arch Ego, right, and you did not use leverage, yes, I never do. You never borrowed. You never. So I'm. Let's call me Goldman Sachs. Right? Okay. You're Hello, Hawaiian. Goldman Sachs. Okay. Nice to see you, William Huang. Yes. Um. So. I say to you, okay, you're my customer, and you want to buy $100 million worth of Viacom stock. You have $100 bucks, and you want to buy. And I go, okay, buddy, here's where the price is right now. How's this price? $50. Bucks. And you look at your screen, and you're like, ah, can you maybe you say, you know, I'm a big customer. Can you do a little bit better? And I go, all right, forty nine ninety eight. I'll give you the two cent discount, and you buy, right? And you go away. Right? If Viacom stock falls or goes up, that's all you. Like that's all on you. I'm I'm out of it, right? I I just sold you the stock. You know, I I could be short the stock. Yeah, but that's not your business. Right. Your business is you bought it. That's a pretty normal transaction. What happened with you? Mm-hmm. Let's say you're Bill Wang. Hello. Either you didn't have the hundred million bucks, or you didn't want to use the hundred million bucks on this one trade. You want to do more, Mr. Sachs. I'd like to use your money. Correct. So we chatted about this before, but there have been many instances in the press recently, which is amazing. Like Eric said, that people are saying they've never seen something like this. These are Wall Street people. With this guy's past history, okay, there were many people in credit departments at these banks, like Goldman Sachs, who told the salesman who talked to you, Billy Wang, go pound salt, salesman. This guy's bad news, bro. You're like, you're going to blow up the fucking firm. What, do, what are you doing? But it is the Wall Street salesperson's job to maybe not every day because they'll fire him. (laughs) But every once in a while, like once a week or once a month or something, they make their their call to the credit department and say, hey, bro, can we deal with Billy Wang? No. Okay. So then they check their little calendar and they go, all right, next week I'll call again. (laughs) And this shit went on at Goldman. Apparently for like eight years. Wow. Eight years. Then finally, one day, like a year ago, not even that long ago, one of the credit guys said, Billy Wang, huh? Yeah, all right. We can do business with him. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm praying, I'm praying it was the same sales guy. For the last ten years, that would that would just be awesome, right? Like, like <laughs> dude, like he, he went out and like had a big steak dinner after that day, right? He was yeah. like, I couldn't get them to deal with this guy. Finally, I got to get them to deal with this guy. Yeah, awesome. he got paid. That that guy got paid already. Like, he, of course, because he they made a ton of money. Ton of, oh yeah, we're making a ton of money, and and that's, so, you gotta you gotta understand the culture when you're when you're a trader or a sales guy, right? At these at, at a Wall Street firm in that business is. When you start making like like think about this, think of a Goldman Sachs and the one uh, MDB. Remember when they when they when they destroyed the they basically destroyed the entire country of Malaysia. They robbed the entire country of Malaysia. They they used a guy a guy named J Lo and they used J Lo and 
long story, but the Malaysian, they created the the Malaysian Development Bank, 1MDB, and they went out and borrowed billions to create, it was supposed to be for infrastructure for Malaysia, and they went and gold, and there's one sales guy, one big sales guy at Goldman Sachs out in Asia, and they created this deal um, where one MDB issued bonds, and then they ran around the world. Then they went to like Abu Dhabi Bank. They went to all the big, uh, you know, Sa- the Saudis. You know, they went to all these guys to to buy these bonds, and they hoodwink they hoodwinked them. Uh, J Lo and a lot of people in the government hoodwinked everybody and took and took a lot of the money. A lot of the money that was raised never went to the people of Malaysia. It went right into their pockets. It's funny. I actually saw a documentary on Netflix called Dirty Money. Uh, it's like a yeah. seven-part series or something, because I, I knew this sounded familiar. It's yeah, called, yeah. This, it. uh, this chapter is called The Man at the Top, talking yep. about exactly what you're, what you're mentioning right now. Yeah, you can watch. But what, what's missing from that documentary is the, the fact that Goldman made about six, they say $600 million between fees and trading. And they made $600 million on this thing. So, you know, compliance warned, told Lloyd Blankfein, who was the right of the CEO of Goldman Sachs at the time, do not be in the same room with this guy, JLo. Don't go near this guy. Like we, we like we, we like money, right? We you know Gary and this is when Gary Cohn and Lloyd were running the shop. We we love money, but this guy's a bad guy. So we made our money, but stay away. And then and Lloyd of course said he didn't meet him. And then of course like I don't know how people don't realize they found out he did meet him and they went they did have a nice substantial meeting at one point. But the point I'm trying the point the original point I'm trying to make is that all right so that guy is doing bad things out in Asia the gold the Goldman sales guy. But he made he, he just made the firm six hundred million dollars. Guess what? You think that so whoever runs Goldman Sachs and you come in and say, yeah, but I I made like fifty million dollars doing all this great stuff and it was great for the firm and no risk and and uh, like yeah, but you know, dude, you got to be more like you're, you're nowhere near him. He made six hundred million. You only made fifty. Like what's like? Why can't you be more like him? Like <laughs> oh, this is how it happens. This is how it happens. I, it's happened to me. Like I, I've seen that. I remember one time uh, where I worked on a, a an exotic derivative trade that just fit. I found the client. Our equity derivative desk really wanted to do this trade, and it was a good trade. And I I found the client. It took a month to 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 work out all the details, and I think we made like sixty thousand dollars on the trade. At the same time that we say done, right? The guy behind me, this has been corporations, he did a swap, just an interest rate, which is a very vanilla product, interest rate swap. You were, you were here for me on this one, Richie, too, by the way. The guy sat, a guy sat behind me. It sounds like you're about to incriminate Richie. No, this is like Richie's a completely, Richie's a di- completely different sector. So the guy behind me does a very a long-dated interest rate swap, big one, like, like lots of hundreds of millions of dollars of notional amount. And it's like a 30-year swap. The client has no idea. This is the 90s. The client has no idea where the market is. Like, no no idea. Doesn't check with any other dealers. They took this guy for 400 grand. At the same time that I'm concluding my one-month hard work, you know, $60,000 trade, 
This guy is being freaking carried around the floor because he just made $400,000 by basically hoodwinking, you know, uh, an American corporation Uh, just just by, hey, you don't know where the market is, so you should be getting paid five. We're going to pay you four ninety. Right. Done. Everybody's happy. So the point I'm making is that the pressure that is put on you to to make money and when people start making money, they stop asking. They stop asking, how do you make a, like What generates that type of money? Well, this is one of those cases. And the fact that this guy, that anybody would have done a trade with this guy where he he's a bad guy to begin with and he's amassing over a 10% stake in the company and you know it's highly leveraged and you know that this guy, it, it, I mean, and I think something happened on the price of Viacom going down and the other stocks, but if those stocks get hit, this guy isn't going to have the money. He's levered up the yin-yang, and, and and if the stocks go down enough, we make a collateral call, and this guy is not going to make it, and then we own that stock. It's us. We, we start taking losses. So the fact that they did this is just – it just shows, like a good buddy of ours said, that how the hell can this, this quote and with the finger quotes, the air quotes, smartest guys in the room constantly get bamboozled by this shit. And the thing is, I don't even know – there's a lot of stupidity involved, the greed, but most of it's most of it's greed. Most of it is like – they know, like they know. they know. And like Richie said, the, the Goldman Sachs guy who finally got to do the trade in 2019, let's call it 2020. He's already gotten a grant. He got a lot of Goldman stock probably as his, as his bonus, but he got paid already. He doesn't give a shit if it blows up two years later. Right. I mean, gives a shit, but not really give a shit. Like what? All right. So fire me. I'm, you, yeah. He made, he made his money. Yeah. Yeah, you paid me twelve million dollars yeah. last year, so you know I, I'll I'll open my own family office. Right. You know, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so you have a lot. You have a lot of that conflict um, all the time, you know. And uh, we saw it all the time being in the derivatives world. That that's always the risk. There, there's always a counterparty risk. So, in the first example I use with you, and you just take your hundred million bucks and go away. I have risk to you for about a day or two, right? I, I, I need your dough, yeah. your hundred million in cash. Mm-hmm. But that's an easy one because if you don't pay up in two days with that hundred million, I cancel the trade and hopefully it hasn't, the stock hasn't moved so much and I just get out of it. We break the trade and I tell you you're a scumbag and never deal with you again with a, with a derivative trade. See what happened with this thing is it's it's usually a long-term trade or longer. Yeah. So it might be a two-year, three-year, five-year, 10-year. Eric talked about an interest rate swap that was 30 years. So your biggest risk as, as a, a Wall Street dealer, bank, is I need to know that Billy Wang is going to be around for many years to have to pay me if he has to. I'm not going anywhere, Mr. Sachs. I know I have a checkered past, but I'm a different man. I'm a man of God now. And that is exactly, exactly some conversation that happened in some room somewhere, somehow. There is no doubt all these guys from their credit departments or what have you had either, well, probably in the pandemic they had Zoom calls. But back in the day, these credit guys would get on a plane if they had to and actually sit down and go visit these clients. Uh, just a brief story about 
some of my history. There was a, a famous blow up back in the day of Orange County, California, which is another episode that we can go into. There was quite a character that ran that portfolio for police and firemen in Orange County, California. And he blew sky high buying derivatives. We had a uh, new head of the trading floor when I was at J.P. Morgan that came along. And I was good friends with the sales guy who covered this guy at Orange County. Okay. Now, the guy who was coming to us as the new head of the trading floor came from the Federal Reserve Bank. So he was at the Fed and decided, you know, the Fed salary wasn't as good as being the head of a big bond trading floor at J.P. Morgan. Sure. So my buddy was all excited and he had been making money on Orange County. Not so much, not with derivatives, but this guy would buy lots of stuff. Treasury bonds, mortgage bonds, you know, plain vanilla stuff with the example that we started with where he paid cash. No leverage, no nothing. So they they had a good relationship. It sounds and like the did. kind of boring stuff that banks should do. Correct. Yeah. And, right. and, and, <laughs> and, and, the, and the Treasury desk, the U.S. Treasury desk and the U.S. mortgage desk that was at JP loved this guy. Like, like they would take him to any dinner he wanted. They'd fly out there to California and visit, giving him what he wanted. And it wasn't huge money that they made, but it was good money. And it was like nice money and and it allowed them to set up their desks for positions meaning if so mike was the sales guy if mike could get bob to sell them 200 million of something right that they really wanted on the desk it might not make a ton of money for the firm but it helps the desk out so guys like that love those trading desks love clients like that right and he had a really good relationship with this guy so Mike was trying to get into the derivative side of things with this guy because he had heard there were this Bob was doing some funny trades with Merrill Lynch. So he gets a term sheet of a deal. Bob loved Mike. Bob loved him. So Bob sends Mike a term sheet and shows him, oh, look what I just did with Merrill Lynch. This is a great trade. I'm going to make tons of money. He brings it over to the derivative desk. Hello. I was sitting there. And we're all kind of like, it was like in the lab where you're trying to like figure out like the, maybe the uh, coronavirus uh, vaccine, right? Everybody's standing around like, hmm, can we, make, can we make this happen? And we're looking at the term sheet. And then we look over and Mike is like this tall guy, big guy. And he's like standing in the aisle. And I remember my boss looking at him and going, are you sure he did this? Are you sure he did this? And he's like, dude, he, why would he lie to me? This is what he said. If, if we can do this, he'll do it with us. Right. So we look at it and the guy did like 100 million of something. And there's three points in the trade, meaning the house made three million bucks. And it's like layup stuff. Like it's it, it, it's pre, it's a derivative and it's a little tricky. But we have guys that know how to handle that and hedge the risk and what have you. So you just hit a button. F9, we used to call it. You hit F9 to hit calculate, and $3 million falls out of the fucking tree. And it's like, whoa, get this cat on the phone now. So let's go back to the guy who's running the trading floor that came from the Fed. Mm -hmm. His first 
client discussion. First one, okay? We all go into the conference room. We bring the economist, our head economist, who was a pretty big wheel on Wall Street. Like that, like it was pre-CNBC days. I mean, CNBC was kind of around, but that's the kind of guy that you would see on CNBC. Okay? Paul. We'll call him Paul. Paul was famous. So Paul gives a speech to this guy. I'm on the call. We're on a conference call on a speakerphone to Big Bob in Orange County, California. And Paul gives a speech about where he thinks interest rates are going in various currencies and this and that. And then Bob starts to speak. Bob's Bob's the Orange County guy, right? Yes, Bob's the Orange County guy, the money manager. He's like the Billy Huang of today. And Bob's first words. This might be the title of a book that I write. (laughs) Bob's first words after hearing all these speeches. Mike's talking to Bob saying, you know, we have the new head of the, the whole trading floor. Bob is here to listen to what you have to say. And Bob goes, fellas, as you probably know, I am an arbitrageur. So he states that he is like a very, very good investor. Off the bat. His next sentence is his return of his fund Uh over the last year, two years, three years. And I'm looking. We had these old, they're called Reuters screens. We had some in the conference room. Green screens on like a black, one of those old style monitors, right? Very old style. But back in the day, that was pretty cool. Because even if you're in the conference room, you can see where prices are at bonds. And I remember looking at those screens and seeing the yield on treasury bonds. Okay. And remember how we talked about in the past, the yield on a treasury bond is what is known as the risk-free rate. Okay. This guy was making like 5% over the risk-free rate in his funds. And all I remember, I was young. I was like, I don't know, 23, 24. And all I remember is being like, dude, I don't know what this cat is doing. But there is a shit ton of risk in this guy's portfolio, and he doesn't know it, but somebody knows it. And I guarantee you there's something about that F hitting F9 that we just did where $3 million came out of the tree. So long story short, we escaped from that room, right? Mike is excited, right? The sales guy. He's like, bro, that was fucking great. Like, this is great. We're all rubbing our hands. We're like, yeah. The guy who runs the floor, Steve, says, everybody in my office that was in that call. This is the guy from the Fed. This is the guy that came from the Fed. His first job as a private, not first job in the private sector, but certainly first job of running a trading floor. Brings us into his office, not the conference room, his office. We're all in there. And he looks, and he wasn't a big smiley guy to begin with. And he's got the half glasses on. I'll never forget it. He looks at us. And he looks at Mike, the sales guy, and he goes, not only are we not selling this guy these derivative pieces, I don't want you selling him anything. So this is a guy who's made money for the firm, right? Like a treasury bonds. Remember, we just talked about how, like, we weren't making tons of money on what this guy did, but it was really good business. And you could hear like a pin drop. And he looks, he puts his glasses, his half glasses up again. He goes, (laughs) everybody's excused. Just as, and we're that's all, it. Okay, like there was no discussion. There wow. was a, there was no like. What do you mean? Do, 
So the guy went, Mike went from like elation, right? Like, holy shit, we're going to make tons of money to, uh, dude, you just like sapped one of my biggest accounts, like for everything. Like forget about, okay, I, I won't do the derivative stuff. Let me just do the stuff I've been doing. No, he's done. He's done. With us. The moral of the story, nah, about a year later, year and a half later, the guy blew sky high. Sky high. This Bob guy blew up like it was in the news. It was like talk about forced sales and stuff like that. That was going on everywhere. This guy blew up. And I just remember being like, holy shit, that guy, Steve, knew exactly what he was talking about. Maybe that's why he's the boss. Like, <laughs> like they, they, he knew. And, and there were certainly those kinds of conversations going on about this Bill Wang all over the street. And you'll see. You'll see, like, some certain big names haven't been mentioned in this run. Like, J.P. Morgan really hasn't been mentioned in Bill Huang stories. Merrill Lynch, Bank of America, hasn't been mentioned. So you'll see it'll leak out now, like, J.P. will be like, yeah, 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 we heard about that guy. We would never do business with that guy. You know, they'll all take a victory lap. Like When the, when the, reality, when the, when the reality is going to be, yeah, we... We we were trying to do business with that exactly. guy, but there because uh, that that's what happened. Like that's what like literally JP came through the, the <laughs> basically relatively uns. They came out through the the crisis. We'll we'll get to Richie's or Richie's got one of the greatest stories ever um, in two thousand eight, and they were like they they didn't really get too deep into the subprime world, the structuring and everything, and uh, and so Jamie Dimon looked like a genius. And he was able to buy Bear Stearns for nothing, as we talked about in a previous show. He was able to buy uh, Washington Mutual. I, I mean, all, they took on all kinds of stuff, and they, and they became the, the, the bank, the, the blessed one. When the reality is I had a buddy who uh, was a um, – he wasn't a trader, a sale. He was, like a, he was one of the – he was a risk guy. And they were trying like crazy to get into the business. Try, and they just kept tripping over themselves and fucking it up. And they did it long enough until they were smart enough to say – we don't want to be last to the party. Like this is, you know, we'll just become, because what happens is when you get into these hot businesses like that, you know, the big guys get in and then, and then you want to play, like you start going to the clients and asking them, like, not that, can, can we have your business? Okay. Yeah, we'll have, we'll, you know, we'll give it to you, but you know, you gotta, you basically have to give us money. Like that's like, you basically have to do a bunch of stuff for free first or whatever. And then maybe we'll let you into our little club which ends up fucking blowing everybody up. So um, that, that, that again, yeah, it's like you, we're going to see those stories and people are going to kind of come out looking like heroes. And probably the only heroes are going to be the poor guys who don't get paid a lot, who sit there, who are smart and go, don't, don't do this. Like this just, this makes no sense on a long-term basis. Thinking of the firm, this makes no sense at all. Right. That guy is doing his, that salesman's doing his job. Right, he's out there, but our job is to stop him when he go when he when he's when he's stepping over when he wants us to step over the line, and eventually, when there's a lot of money involved, those guys get told that's good, good job, Billy. You go back and uh, go back, and here's a, here, we're gonna get bagels for the you know for, for the floor and, and on Friday, and that thank you. So it sounds like it sounds like to me like a good position to be in is the sales guy because there's you're encouraged to take risks and doesn't seem like there's any fall on you. Oh yeah. Right. Like, uh, the, 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 
idea is the the sales guy is just always pushing for business, right? He's got a, the good salesperson pushes the envelope to get the business done. It's up to the risk people and the trading side to say no because they're protecting the capital of the firm. Um, certain firms take that very seriously. Certain ones don't, and you you see like a a hierarchy as to who runs the show. So if it's the trading side that have most of the bosses running the trading floor, they're going to take more prudent risk, if you will. If sales team managers have escalated to the boss man, a boss man uh, role, you'll probably see the firm take more, you know, risk. And, mm. and I can see that with some of the names in this list of Nomura. I mean, God, they've been trying to break into the U S brokerage business for 35, 40 years. So you could see somebody there going, Oh yeah, let's do business with that guy. Let's break in. And now they'll probably close the goddamn place. Right. They're they're probably done. Like the guys in Japan are going to be like, you lost what you lost what on who? And and that'll be it. Like they'll, 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 they'll have blown up the firm. So it seems like the, the antennas are up now. And there might be a lot of risky monkey business happening, like we saw back in the day. Yeah, it's like yeah. A, it's like a ten year cycle, right? It's like a ten or fifteen year cycle. Everybody well, it, gets, it gets less every time. Like we, we we repeat the mistakes now. It used to be ten years. Now it's five and two. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, uh, and you got to remember, this is a actually my partner in the business I talked about before, um, and he he's he ran money for, for big guys and stuff, and he's he's saying, could you imagine right now where everybody's at home? No one's at the office. So if you think guys did bad things before, now there's no one looking over their shoulder. I mean, there, there kind of is, but there isn't, right? I mean, it's just going to make everything less effective, and risk management and compliance is definitely going to be something that that has been hurt by the fact that we've spent the last year not together but on Zoom calls and whatever, and something gets lost. And the last thing is just to to speak up again for the for the compliance guys and the risk guys is uh you know I when I started my first Wall Street job was with Bankers Trust you don't know who Bankers Trust is anymore if you're young but they were we Richie was our Richie at JP and us we were the two biggest derivative shops in, on Wall Street we we revolutionized it and we used to they, they used to they, that was our competition. And uh, I remember there was, so I was there as a product control risk management guy. That was my first job. And there was a business they were working on. And and because I knew mortgages, I kind of knew enough that I could, I didn't know, I didn't have the, back then derivative guys, the the traders, most of them, they were ex-math professors. They were like, they were, they were, they were rocket scientists. They were really guys that that all of a sudden, yeah, you know, you, how about you use those math skills to pay a million bucks, you know, versus the 20,000 you're making working here at the lab. (laughs) Come over which are great guys. Um, so anyway, we, 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 there was a certain business that I was just like, I, I don't know, like this is, uh, I, I think they're over there. I, I, I probably didn't say they're over the skis, but I was just kind of like, this doesn't add up, you know? So we had a big meeting and uh, the, the head of trading was there, the head of sales and all around. And uh, for this business line, we walk in with my boss and, uh, and myself and the guy head of trading goes, oh, here comes the overhead. <laughs> That's what you were. You were overhead. You don't make any money for this firm. You're, we pay your salary. Like, in other words, you, you don't tell us what to do. Like, we're making money. And if we don't make money, you don't make money. 
Well, I mean, it makes sense that you now have this adversarial arm's length relationship with Wall Street now. If that was your position in in the company, like you're not even appreciated there. Like you're you're just like looked at as somebody who's a bummer. Yeah, I was was told that like that I was taught first thing out of the training program, like those risk and compliance guys. Richie, you know what they're paid to do? He said, no, they're paid to say no. I'm like, what? Yeah, they'll, they'll just say no. You have anything like somewhat off kilter, they're just going to shoot it down. You're not going to be able to do it. I'm like, really? Why would they do that? And, I, and then I learned they're really, at the end of the day, protecting the firm. Like those guys and gals that are in that department, you know, it, like let's say the Deutsche Bank situation turns out rosy for them. Um, who knows who made the call? But if it was the compliance department that said, get this shit out the door now or, or, you know, we'll fire everybody or we'll get somebody to fire everybody, you know, they should be paid handsomely. Maybe but they, they should won't get be. a four billion dollar yeah. bonus. Yeah, they, yeah. they won't. Be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Somebody will write that on their little <laughs> review. Hey, I <laughs> saved the firm four billion dollars. Yeah. OK, great. But you didn't you make, know you're you didn't make anything. Yeah, your bonus is you get to come to work you next come year. Back next year. That's yeah. your bonus. A lot of those people that that went against you, they don't get to come back. That's not their bonus. Uh, just a caveat, though, as a risk management person, I couldn't wait to get out of risk management to become a trader or salesperson. So <laughs> that that is the one thing. When you're, when you're a young guy in there, you're kind of like you are a little conflicted because you kind of want to be. You don't want to be doing this. You don't want to be your boss. You want to be one of those guys or gals like you want to be. And this is back in the day when you could do anything. You know, they take that. They take cards. Right. You, this is how it used to be. Oh, um, they hire a car, take clients out, go to the best places, whether they or they go to go to the Nick game or the Knicks were freaking awesome. The Rangers. And, yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's the, the vision car. you have as a Wall Street hotshot. That's what they do. They're just making nothing, deals. Yeah. yeah. Nothing that you couldn't. I mean, the car they ran up. Millions of dollars, millions of dollars, talk about overhead, millions of dollars of just cars, the the black, you know, the radio cars to call them, sitting outside the fucking garden for four hours. So (laughs) when they came down, the car would be there. They wouldn't even have to, you know, wait for the car to come. It was right there. You know, I mean, it's like the the amount, and you could do, you could do anything. So you used to watch, you know, you're, you're a young guy and you're watching I'm watching Richie. I'm like, fucker, he's the same age as me. <laughs> and he's 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 grabbing his golf clubs and his and a, and a freaking valise and he's going out to LA for the weekend to you know to entertain Bob and to, you know and play golf at Riviera. Like fuck. You know? <laughs> which happened. Which absolutely happened. The funny thing too is like if so Mike, the, the guy Mike covered Bob in the old story of Orange County. Mike would get told. I'm having trouble keeping together who's who again. Bob was the guy who blew up at the at the firm. He was right. a customer. All Bob right. was like Billy Wang here, and Mike was like the sales guy at, at Deutsche Bank. Okay. And Mike would get told. We didn't have – it was re- really early. It was like the late 80s, early 90s, and we didn't have a Los Angeles office yet. So it was just New York. So Mike would get told. Like, dude, you need to be out in L.A. because he had California as his client base and he was based in New York. You need to be out in L.A. like two weeks a month. He'd tell me these stories. Mike, he'd come back 
I can't, he was like two years older than me. I used to idolize this guy. And he'd come back and he'd be like, oh, Richie, you need to come with me, bro. I, read, I rented a vet for a week. Uh, well, I didn't even bring my clubs. I, I just I just rent them at the club. Was it a convertible? And, yes. And I'm like, and, and we're going like, you know, Mr. Chow's. I remember Mr. Chow's had just come <laughs> along. And like all like the A-list celebrities in L.A. would go to Mr. Chow's and he'd get a table at Mr. Chow's. I was like, dude, this is this is living like this is like and, and you're making money. And he's like, yeah. And, you know, and this guy, Bob, was so that's what I'm saying. There's a whole other episode to go with him. Bob was like this older dude who wore like a bolero tie and used to brag about how he'd never been east of the of Arizona in his life. What a weird brag. And owned like 27 Buicks in his life and all this. An interesting cat. So he would, Mike would say, I can't even spend money on this dude because he demands, he demands that when we go out to lunch, it's at the Elks Club that he belongs to in Orange County and that he, Bob, pays for his own tuna fish sandwich of $4.75. It's a power move. It, it completely is. And, and, and he would, I was there, and he justified it. He's like, listen, if I start taking stuff from you guys, people might start looking. And I was like, all right, that's, that's one way to look at it. He took nothing from any of these guys, made no dough in his pocket, and went to jail eventually, Bob. For, for blowing up the tent. Like, like, talk about, like, a weird situation. Bob Citron. Bob C-I-T-R-O-N, if you want to. Google that name. That one. It's a great, great story. Yeah, I'm going to look into that one for sure. Oh, you have to. So we're talking about the glory days, Richie. Yeah. We've been talking about this ultimate story that you have. Lay yeah. it on us, right? I don't want it to get so hyped that it, let, it's a let me get, let me set it. Let me set it up, though. Please do. Go ahead. So let's get this up. So now I'm in that great world. I'm, you know, I'm the sales guy, trader, whatever. And um, I'm at Freddie Mac. And Freddie Mac, we had we had our own mortgage mortgage desk, a, a dealer, meaning a mortgage de- buys and sells and makes money doing that inside of Freddie Mac, um, independent of the rest of the company that was that that guaranteed mortgages and and also. Back then, Freddie Mac became a big hedge fund along with Fannie Mae. They, they bought lots. They owned, between Freddie and Fannie at the height, they owned about $1.5 trillion of, of mortgage-backed securities. Um, that We call that the retained portfolio. But anyway, I was at the dealer, and with it, we had, I mean, we made a lot of money. And back then, when you're doing mortgages in like 2002, 2003, all you had to do was turn the lights on and you made money. But we were making a lot of money for the firm. And we had nothing to do with subprime and all that stuff was kind of getting going in 03, 04. It was going, but we didn't know about it because we just traded, you know, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, and Ginnie Mae securities, just not, and, non- and just, cre- no credit risk. Yeah, just to interject, like, Aaron, like you probably know, but subprime is like, oh. is like customers who don't have like great credit. So they're beneath, it, it comes from the back in the day, you used to lend money at the prime rate. Yes. Or these were prime customers, in other words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Subprime being this word for this guy has shitty credit. Mm-hmm. What would they do with those customers? So they charge them more interest. Yeah, okay. they, they, charge do- them, they charge them appropriately. Like the old sub, there's always been a subprime market, subprime auto, subprime, subprime mortgage. 
but you charge the you charge the right rate for that for that risk. Just you have to because you have to because you know there's going to be more losses because guys who are shaky, you know, they're they're like a layoff of their job away from not making that payment. So right? the the idea is that you're going to get more interest back quicker. Yes. Well, you're going to make enough on the guys who perform. Right. Let's say 10% of the guys default. Remember, it's also secure. It's also collateralized. So there is a house involved. So you're not going to lose. If a guy defaults $100,000, you're not going to lose $100,000. You may lose twenty. But you charge a a rate of interest high enough that the 80 guys, what did I say, 10%, so the 90 guys who perform, you're getting all that money in, and then all that they're more than enough to cover the ten percent of the ten guys that default. Right. But that was a business as old as the hills, right? Yeah. And, and they also do it. They also do it in cars, right? So yeah. think about the two yeah. businesses, right? The house, car. Guess what? You kind of need both. Yeah. Right. As a bar. So the idea there being, you're not doing it on a watch, right, or a piece of jewelry because you don't really need that, and if you lose it, you're like whatever. But you kind of need your car to get to work, and you kind of need your house to have a roof. Mm-hmm. So people will lend to those people that have the shittier credit <clears throat> because they're like, yeah, this guy will bend over backwards to make the payment. Like, he's in real bad shape if he can't. And remember the old adage, you can live in your car, but you can't drive your house. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that so, one. <laughs> but through the, magic, through the magic of structuring and derivatives, Suddenly, these sub, all of a sudden, this, this became a market that exploded with just, just sub, you know, subprime everywhere. And somehow you were able to take a billion dollars of, I'll get into this, a billion dollars of shit and somehow make it into $800 million of AAA rated securities and blah, blah. So this market was building, but we didn't really have anything to do with that market. Sometime towards the end of 2004, it was political. Our group got let go. Like, the entire mortgage dealer. And I remember we, we had made like 275 million the year before. Um, and that's after that was net profit before taxes. We made that much money. And I remember the guy. So the guy is now the guy who ended up helping run Freddie Mac into the ground, Dick Siren. He was the CEO. <laughs> and so like they, they were letting the whole group go. And I mean, the whole, everybody, like the whole, everybody, the, the, the back office people, the whole thing were, and, and we're looking at him, and uh, and he came down and tried to talk to us on the floor. And, and somebody goes, "Dude, like we made two hundred seventy-five million dollars last year. We have ten salesmen, eight traders, this many. This is we have vendor relationships. We have we have we have relationships with four hundred or five hundred different clients. Why didn't you just sell us?" And it's going to cost you probably $100 million to unwind this whole thing. Like, why didn't you sell us? All these dopey European banks, that want to, they're climbing over each other to get into this business. And you can see this complete look of, like, his face went blank. Like, <laughs> oh, fuck. So, but anyway, so that sucked, right? Because we, we were down in McLean, Virginia. I lived in Great Falls. It was a 15-minute drive to work. It was, it was great. But if you could spell mortgage in 2004 – you were getting a gig, like you were, and a lot of it was that the European banks were getting in and just paying, paying massive sums of money to get into the business. Barclays, HSBC, um, a bunch of us went to BNP Paribas, and they wanted it's a big French bank, and they wanted to get involved in the mortgage, the mortgage game. So they they took a bunch of us, 
um, traders and salespeople to, to start their business. So when we started it, we didn't even have an office and, we, and I hadn't moved back up to New York yet. And then we got to let a bunch of guys stay down in Virginia and run the office out of there. So um, I, we were in the, we were there and, and we get, we just basically, we, let's say we started with them in December. So it's like the first of the year, like the first week of the year and get this email and we get told, Hey, we're doing our first, our first AmeriQuest deal. And AmeriQuest is the biggest subprime lender in the, in the, in the world and like in the country back then. We're doing a big deal. It's like a $2 billion deal. And, uh, you know, have a look at it. Call, call your customers. Like, see, see who would be interested in this. This is a first for us. And you guys, you know, okay, all right, right. I start looking at the, the, the prospectus and I'm reading, I'm seeing these loans. And my first job was, my first job before I went to Wall Street, I was, I was a savings and loan examiner, right? And the savings and loan industry blew up in, in the late 80s. That's when I was there. And I'm looking at these loans and I'm like, oh my God, like these are the same loans I saw, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago at the federal, back then we were the federal home loan bank. Like what in the hell? Like how could they turn these loans, guys with no, no documentation, no, you know, no, no job check, nothing. This is 2005. Um, you know, just like, this is like you took the SNL where they made a million dollars of these loans and instead of making a million, you guys made a billion. Like, what the? How, how do they do this? So, all right, I I, I look at the prospectus and I, who, who am I going to call about this? So, I, a really smart guy, a guy I really liked at a big insurance company. I figured, all right, maybe he maybe he look at this. So, I said, call him up. And I'm in my kitchen. We haven't have an office yet. And I call him up and I said, hey, uh, John, John, what are you, you know, we're doing our first deal, blah, 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 you know, AmeriQuest. And, and at first he was like, Eric, where, because it sounds like you're calling me from, a, from inside a bathtub. I'm like, I'm, I'm in my kitchen. <laughs> okay. So I'll never forget. He goes, yeah, he goes, actually, crazy as it sounds, we're, we're light on that name, meaning the insurance company doesn't have enough of this AmeriQuest. They've got New Century. They, got all, they don't have enough AmeriQuest. So I think the guy's going to look at the AAA. And I said, I go, John, there's no AAAs available here. Because I don't know why, but you know, it's shaded and you can't. But because AAAs, AAAs being the best rated. Yeah, the best. He goes, oh, no, stadium. I don't buy that. I don't, I don't buy that. I buy the I buy the, the, the riskiest stuff. I buy the me, called the mezzanine tranches. And immediately I go like, I probably get paid more if this guy buys one of those. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So... I call the so the guy's called the syndicate manager. He's the guy who decides who gets whose clients get what. And I go, uh, hey, I got I got interest from this guy in the M M fives. And when you, when you get into the M four, five, six, you're all the way down. You're, you're the guy taking the second or third loss in these in these deals, which could be significant. And the guy's like, great. And I'm like, okay, like maybe we'll get this done. Syndicate cat manager calls me up and he says, sorry, man, like somebody's a somebody's a better bid than him like you know in other words people are climbing over each other institutional money to get at these fucking bonds and i'm like all right i'll, I'll tell him you know whatever and i go by the way who wh why are all the triple a's shaded out like you can't uh, oh he goes those are freddie max i go what he goes that those are freddie max like they those bonds are already spoken for and i'm like freddie max buying those bonds and they go yeah and, uh, and and apparently you get into it, especially when you're starting. If they don't get the, if they don't get their bonds, like if they put in for a billion and they don't get it, 
you get put in the penalty box for for, three, for, for six months. Meaning, like, and I'm thinking, like, those motherfuckers are, were upstairs the whole. They're cornering the fucking. Mor- they're, they're cornering the subprime mortgage market, and they 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 whacked us. Like th- those guys are going to blow the fucking place sky high. <laughs> and so that's the. I want to lead in with that story because now Richie's got the, the story that told you that it was close to being over, close to ready to explode. Richie, tell the tell the new century story. So, um, in one of my many hats that I wore, one of which was um, for one of the Dutch banks that I worked for, we had a pretty big business where we managed assets that were pooled. And it was called um, either a collateralized loan obligation, CLO, or a collateralized debt obligation, CDO. And these were the things that blew the world up in 2009 and 10. Um, So we managed assets that issued CDO product. What would go into those assets was a wide range uh, into those products. It was a wide range of assets that were um, stated in a prospectus, like what you could buy, what you couldn't buy, uh, certain ratings that you could buy and couldn't buy to make the uh, rating agencies who rate the bonds. So we talked about triple A, triple A being the safest, um, triple B, triple B minus being a little shakier, right? Um, Double B being very shaky. I was going to ask if we uh, had any doubles or singles. Yeah, yeah, single B, real shaky. That's uh, the M5. Yeah. <laughs> what were some of the assets that you're talking about? What's that? What were some of the assets that, that, you, that you're talking about? Um, you, could buy, um, you could buy corporate bonds. There was a small bucket for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could buy mortgage bonds. There was an asset for that, a uh, class for that. You could also buy these bonds that Eric was just talking about. So an AmeriQuest subprime structured bond could go in there. Um, And again, you could buy AAA bonds in this product, but the, the returns on those AAA bonds weren't so high. If it's the safest, right, you're taking the least amount of risk, you're getting paid the least. So you kind of had to manage the whole game where you – you had to buy to make your CDO product work. Maybe some of these triple B's, triple B minuses, double B's. And you're into shaky terms if things go badly. If things go well, everything's great, right? You just get paid as an asset manager of these CDOs. Every customer that buys your CDO is thrilled. They last, you know, five to seven years. Everything's good. Let's do another one. Let's do another one, another one. Let's do this. Let's. We were like pretty big at one point, like in this management of stuff. So, as Eric said, um, AmeriQuest was a big was a big issuer of subprime, um, which we were a buyer of. You know, we would I, I bought a lot of that stuff to put in the CDO. Um, again, also like not taking risk, right? Like I'm putting it into a box which is then getting shifted out to clients to buy pieces. So I'm just, I'm just cutting a slice of the total return that we get and getting paid a fee to manage these assets. Okay. 
but I have to do my due diligence, right? Because if I buy shitty assets and the thing blows up, I think my career as an asset manager is over, right? Mm -hmm. So as part of the deal, we would tell these uh, investors that we actually check these places out. So anybody we buy from, any name that we buy from, we, we, we would talk about how we at least went out once a year, sometimes twice a year, to, to do some tire kicking, right? So one of the big ones, the, after AmeriQuest, one of the biggest ones was a company called New Century. Uh-huh. And New Century Mortgage, and they were based, a lot of these guys were based in Orange County, California. We go back to the Orange County place. Which is a fabulous. If if anyone's not been there, I definitely advise you to go visit there. Uh, towns like Newport Beach, uh, you know, uh, San uh, what San Clemente, you know, President Nixon retired San Clemente. You know, like beautiful on the ocean, like really high end shit. Beautiful south of L.A. Right? and and a lot of these people hate L.A. Right. They're like, ah, L.A. sucks. Right. We love Orange County. So these guys had this like little mafia of different firms in Orange County, which made it easy for guys who were doing their tire kicking to go see them all in a short span of time. So I could take a week and see four or five of them easily, maybe seven of them, you know, two a day. Um, so I bring uh, one of my young guys who works for me on this one trip and we got all kinds of questions to ask. So part of the deal with these subprime mortgage bonds is you need to know that obviously that Joe, the borrower is going to be paying. And if he stops paying, how do we get him back on paying? So these guys had like these massive bullpens, these companies, and it was the collections department. So you'd see these guys calling, hey, Joe, you missed your payment last month. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I know. Um, you going to make a payment this month? Yeah, maybe. Uh, can we help you? How, how about you send a check now? I can't do it. How about tomorrow? Right. So you, you had these kids. They were kids that got trained and they got paid on the amount, obviously, they amount of people they call, but the successful amount of people they call, right? They got a piece of the action if they got Joe to finally pony up. So my favorite thing to do, because I knew this game, right? So you'd go around. These firms knew you were coming, right? Because all of us that ran in this asset management game promised this due diligence to our investors. So they set up, like, departments to show you around, like the tour. Like tour like, guides. Yeah, they were tour guides. So you'd go in and they gave the same dog and pony show to every person that went through there. Yeah, right? yeah. So my favorite thing to do was they, they'd show you the collections bullpen, right? And they'd be like, listen, we have this software. This was like pretty good stuff, like back in 05, 06, 07. We have the software. We can tell if Mary and Jimmy are slacking off. Like we know exactly how many calls they make. They're on that headphone. They are making calls. They're not calling their mom. They're not calling anybody. They, they're like, and we direct those calls, and we spend a lot of money on this system, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, that's good. You know, it's at, at the end of the day, if Joe doesn't have a job, the borrower, he ain't paying you, but that, that I got it. 
So they would always like pick and my, my buddy, Craig, who, who used to work for me that was on these trips loved when I would do this because they'd say, all right, um, we have Billy over here. Would you like to get on a call with Billy to show what his day is like collecting from delinquent accounts? So you're listening on the other line? Yes. Okay. Oh, so I would say, and they love this, okay? I would say, you know what? And I'd get all bug-eyed. I'd be like, that is a brilliant idea. I, I've done it like 50 <laughs> times already, right? But that is a brilliant idea. You're going to put me on the call yeah. to listen to the dudes collecting. Uh-huh. Yes. And you're going to sit with Billy. And then I'd see a guy in the corner basically picking his nose and like putting a pencil up his nose or whatever. And I'd be like, I'd love to do that. And I'm going to do it with that guy over there. <laughs> and you knew it was throwing them off a 50 zillion times, yeah, right? Because yeah. that guy is the shittiest guy. <laughs> He's sitting in the corner, sleeping, eating his boogers, like doing whatever. And I'd be like, yeah, let's get on the call with him. And they'd be like, uh, uh, I love the idea of like, you walking in the room and sizing people up while you're oh, taking completely, a tour. Completely. Yeah. And Craig would just snicker. Like, you hear this, and he'd be like, oh, my God, he's doing it again. And I'm like, of course I am. And then I'd, like, glad hand the guy, you know, or the girl, like, how you doing, buddy? How you? And he'd be, like, you know, shaking his boots, like, yeah, um, Mr. Bennett here is going to uh, listen with you on a collection call. And they were all doing the same thing, but it was just to, to make some fun, right? And then after the tour, right, after the tour, we see the collection guys. They give us their spiel. Then we go into a conference room. And they'd really give us a nice presentation of, like, where they're going as a firm, why we should continue to buy bonds from them, you know, how they mitigate losses. And it's the same story. It's the same story. Like, certain guys, it used to crack me up after I I figured it out for a while, that certain people would be like, oh, I, I, I like these guys, but number two is much, is a much better firm. They're, they're much better than number one. And I, Cause I'd be on these trips, right? And I'd be like, dude, they're all the same fucking guy. They just have a different name. They all do the same thing. They're all hitting the same borrowers. Everything. Uh, let's talk correlation. Is that a nice word? Correlation. When this shit hits the fan, every one of these guys is going to blow sky high. Every one. I don't care what we're talking about. So I learned early on, it was like a hot potato, but get these deals out the door. Do not be left with any shit. That could blow up, right? So on this one trip to New Century, it's ending as they're making a presentation. And a guy shows up. He opens the door. And I'm like, I know this guy. How do I know this guy? It's the CFO. CFO or CEO? CEO. He was the co- and co-founder. Co-founder of the firm. This guy was Mr. Money, money bags. He had a polo shirt on and nice slacks. And I was like, he is the boss because everybody else was in suits. And I'm like, this cat is just finished golfing or he's going golf. And I'm thinking to myself, man, that's pretty cool. Like I knew we were buying bonds from them, but like this guy is going to show up. You know, he's got a little presentation too. I'm like, He's spending time with me out of his out of his day. And I was like, you know what? I've seen that collection thing before where I grabbed the guy with the pencil. 
up his nose and stuff like that. <laughs> I, I, I haven't seen this. I haven't seen this. Oh, this is a new move. Yeah, this is a new CEO coming into CEO. his presentation. His own presentation. And I'm like, bro, all right, go. You're the boss. I'll, I'll, you know, everybody else stop. You go. So he hand, they hand out the books. Ed's name is on the front. CEO, co-founder. I'm like, all right. At this point, the company's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. This is, you know, 2007, 2006. And uh, he gets, he, uh, I open the front page, the name of my bank. Presentation to my bank. And I'm like, whoa, now. Oh, not only did he come in and give a presentation to me, he's going to give a presentation. He's tailored it to me, to me. Like I'm representing this firm and like this guy spent some time on this shit. All right. So now I'm like, cool. So Craig, my, my homie is sitting to my right. So Ed starts with the presentation. Same stuff that the other guys have been saying, you know, they mitigate risk. Their revenues are X. Their losses are so small. Everything's good. Then he whips the next page over and it's a valuation of their stock. And I'm looking, I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, I know. Ticker trades on the New York Stock Exchange. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. And then he starts talking about how cheap the stock is. And now I step on Craig's foot. I'm <laughs> stepping on Craig's foot. And he's like, Ugh. And he's like looking at me, and I know what's coming. Craig's new to the business, but he figures it out after a while. You're getting, you're giving him the heads up, like here it yeah. comes. Here watch it comes. this. I'm, I'm, yeah. Without saying, watch this. I'm yep. stepping on his yep. foot, and I yep. keep tapping his foot, <laughs> waiting for the big moment. He was trying. Big Ed, the CEO, mm-hmm. was trying to sell me his firm, dude. <laughs> he was trying to sell me the firm, like. Like he's selling me, like like he wanted an answer right there. I was like, "Yeah, bro, uh, we're in California. My my firm is in Holland. Uh, that's a lot of hours ahead. Um, I think they're asleep right now." And I'm like, "I don't I don't have the authority to like buy your company, bro." But um, I'm like, "What what's going on here?" Right? Like, like what? I'm not even done. Like I don't know who he thought I was. But I'm not even done, like, giving my spiel, like, this would take a long time, bro, for my boys in Holland to get comfortable with owning your company, owning your company. Like, you are trying to sell your company to me right now. What what did you think was happening before that moment? So I thought he was just going to be like, thank you so much. Um, We're going to play at Riviera golf course right now would you like to join us i, I really thought that's what he was going to say like you're one of our big customers yeah um, okay we would we, we appreciate your business i'm i'm showing up in a in a polo shirt and golf slacks it looks like i'm going to play golf um you guys bring change of clothes because you guys are invited that's exactly what i thought okay or yeah. or we're gonna go to dinner tonight <clears throat> you know on me okay because you guys are good clients right not we're dumping this shit to any dope that wants to fucking buy. Like that's what it was. And then I and then I just look and and I'm like I'm like like shaking up a little. Like like holy shit, what just happened here? I don't even finish my spiel 
that guy closes his book and leaves. <laughs> like, like he knew being a co-founder and a head of things, he knew if I was hot for the deal or not. Yeah. And I was not. So his time was done with me. Okay. And he probably went across the hall to the guy who was on the, the afternoon tour to give the same speech where he just changed the name of the bank. <laughs> so <laughs> we finished the meeting, right? We're leaving. I'm in the parking lot with Craig and I go, dude, this stuff is ending soon. Like there is going to be some shit in this world. I said, if that guy who's been making tons of money is willing to sell his firm, not only willing, wanting, Pretty eager. He wants yeah. to cash out. On the wire. He was ready to sell it to Richie right there in the car. <laughs> if I had said done, we would, have been, we would have been signing papers. He probably had he probably had the lawyers like listening up against the wall, like, <laughs> bring the documents in. We got a live one. No, he probably we, had the pencil guy up his nose listening in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was getting paid yeah. too. Hey bro, you got any stock? Because we're buying you. Now get your get the pencil out of your nose, you fucking dope. But it was so brilliant, and I was just at that moment. And it still took a while. It still took a while for the whole thing to blow up. But I'm like, <clears throat> this shit is over, bro. This, this shit is done. Like, this is, he is clearly seeing losses that he had never seen before. And it was, it hadn't even blown up yet. The world hadn't blown up yet. But enough guys were not able to make their payments. And he was reading, even with the guy with the pencil up his nose, was coming in back to him saying, listen, uh, I got no collections. This and there were guys that I had to call and uh, and Big Ed was like bye bye I'm out of here and and that this is a guy this is a guy where like a hospital wing is named after him uh-huh. like he did a lot he was like the big man in the community like it's a hospital wing and sadly he like died of a like young in his 50s of a heart attack I think I think it was the stress of the job I don't think he got all his stock off before things blew up I think he got some off I think he was able to sell some stock, but the company went bust. Yeah. America went bust. They all went bust. So this was the canary, the canary in the coal mine. Absolutely. Like, like I knew, I knew from that moment on, like this, this subprime business is going to be a problem. Now, did I, even I know it was going to be as big a problem as it was? No. But I knew, and again, like I said, all the guys that were in that business went poof. It didn't matter how great you were, what loans yeah. you had, what loans you didn't have. And to go back to Eric's point on J.P. Morgan, right, where they were trying to get into this business. They were trying. They were, like, begging to get into that business. And they just gave up. They gave up after not being able to or not wanting to spend money to get in. And, like, months later, the whole thing blew up. So they were, like, somebody there at the risk management thing was, like, Whew. dodge that bullet. Dodge that bullet. And, you know, of course, Jamie Dimon's running around like, yeah, we didn't get in that business. We didn't think the risks were appropriate. And it's like, yeah, bro, <laughs> you, you tried and missed. Yeah. But that's okay. Sometimes luck is good, better than good smart. Miss. Good miss. Yes, indeed. But, but that stuff, that's like real life stuff. Like that 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 happened. Like that that was like, and, and I just remember like the, he wasn't even pissed. He was just like. Okay, my time yeah. is done with you, bro. Right. Like, like I, I, you're not buying. I'm flying. Thanks for your time. Like just abruptly, like yeah. he was yeah. a quarter one, of the, one, of the, one of the dopier German banks is coming in in the afternoon. I'll try. Absolutely, <laughs> we'll try that. All I need is one guy. 
All I knew was one. <laughs> and, and like literally, he was done with like a quarter of the of the book. I, I still have the book. It's it's somewhere in my attic or something. That's a pretty wild story. I mean, I know you got so many. Oh, there's plenty. There's plenty. We'll definitely be telling some more in future episodes. Uh, this is this is a lengthy one, so let's uh, let's get into the the market analysis right now and some Richie's picks, and we'll uh, we'll call it a day. All right. I think it's still choppy, right? We're we're starting a new quarter. Yep. Um, it's still pretty choppy. Tread carefully. The infrastructure proposal came out yesterday by President Biden. We'll see if any of that can get passed through Congress. It may. It may not. Um, I still be careful with high valuations, i.e. growth stocks. Therefore, um, I'll be shorting uh, the old Airbnb, ticker A-B-N-B, Aaron Bennett, Nancy Bennett, A-B-N-B. I just kind of thought like, okay, things are opening up again. And that's probably good for A, B, and B. But at the end of the day, they're putting on a good face. But I think there's still some apprehension amongst their client base. Do you want to be going to somebody's house if there's, like, virus still running around? Or do you want to be going to a hotel where, like, their whole reputation is staked on staying clean? I can promise you, you go into a Hilton hotel and get the coronavirus, they got problems. You go into Joe shit the ragman's house, he's going to be like, "Yeah, you didn't get that here, right? You 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 bought that shit in, and that doesn't hit the pa- papers, right? It doesn't. But but enough people hear about it, and they're like, I ain't going to that guy's house.' Would you do like a long short type trade where you short A B and B and then long? Yeah, I I I think some of those hotels are okay. like Hilton or Marriott, maybe mm-hmm. H L T is Hilton, M A R is Marriott. I think I, yeah, I, I kind of like them. Uh, versus that, yeah, and then the uh, the one I want to buy, which I've been in before, made some dough, <clears throat> which is a different kind of story, but I think one that's very relevant these days uh, in the healthcare sector is Regeneron, mm. R E G N. Now they've been in the press because they have a uh, it's a therapy, it's not a vaccine, it's some sort of pill or or liquid which is supposed to help with the COVID. So in the beginning of this pandemic, they were hot to trot and on the case, and people were, like, pushing them, Regeneron, first. Like, before there was a Moderna, before there was Pfizer, Regeneron kept popping up. And what happened was they didn't get the glory and fame that Moderna, Pfizer, J&J have gotten, yet their therapy thing is more effective than a lot of people thought, which is nice, but I'm not even looking at that shit. I'm looking at the stuff they do, which is their regular business before this pandemic hit. They got a nice drug that's an anti-inflammatory uh, that's good for asthma. Uh, they have a drug for cancer, lung cancer, early stage lung cancer, and they have a, 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 a drug for vision, some sort of... Um, I don't know, macular degeneration. All these, these are like drugs that are making money for them. Like they sell them and people buy them and they're like, I have this issue, forget about COVID. And as we talked about, the price to earnings ratio is pretty important. Um, The lower, the better. Uh, 
they have a forward PE Regeneron of like 10, which is really low. Like the market right now, the S&P 500 average is about 22, 23. So 10 is pretty good. That tells you that they're making dough. And the, one, the other thing about Regeneron that I like, it's one of the few. It's not quite at the bottom, but because of that non-glory with the, with the vaccine, the other guys got the glory, Moderna, Pfizer, J&J, whatever, AstraZeneca. Um, their stock is actually close, not at, but close to a 52-week low, which you're not finding a lot of stocks now like that because the market's at a near top. So I like that's that's like the quintessential, as we call it, value investment is Regeneron. Okay. And they're from Tarrytown, Tarrytown, New York, which is near where I grew up. So I kind of have a special place. I was trying to find a video. So I think it was the Lincoln Project that made a spoof of President Trump uh, touting Regeneron. <laughs> have you seen that one? I've, I've heard. Yeah, you know, yeah. It was like an 80s spoof. I'm trying to find it right now, but it looks like uh, maybe Regeneron uh, told them to take it down. Cause it was, <laughs> You're killing our stock. Yeah, I think so. It, it was pretty funny, pretty goofy. It was almost like like a Knight Rider 80s style, you know, with the <laughs> graphics and all that. Regeneron. Because <laughs> he was out that's there good. touting it like that's the cure for Corona right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but okay, so that's a, that's an interesting uh, another pricey one. Yeah, it's up there, four hundred and seventy bucks. You got to have big bucks to get in on Richie's picks this week. Well, however, they keep in mind um, the a lot of the firms now are doing uh, fractional shares. Ah, uh huh. Fractional shares, so you can probably buy a piece. You know, if you want to buy a tenth or a fifth of Regeneron, that's okay too. <laughs> Interesting. Eric, any picks this week? Hmm. Well, I, I will say that uh, some good trading on, on SIF, Richie's, uh, Richie's pick a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, where, yeah. Remember, you and I missed it, and uh, it got knocked back down into the mid-11s, I think, and I, got, I was able to pick some up. I'm really happy with that. Uh, again, like we said, um, we, we bought the banks. We bought, um, I, I still like my, re- my regional, which is Prosperity Bank from, uh, from Houston. Um, I have been adding to every time banks, the way I've been looking at it is every time, uh, banks get hit like once a week or something, banks back up a bit. I've been, I've just been adding to those positions. I've been adding to PNC and I've been adding to prosperity bank, um, AG and C, which I know you bought Aaron is doing is just chugging along nicely. Um, that's, that's really where I'm focused right now. Uh, and again, maybe because that's a business I understand more than, more than the other ones. Um, but, uh, I'm pricing up some, uh, Regeneron right now, <laughs> but, uh, cause somebody's listening to Richie because <laughs> yeah, they, no, for real. That, it's crazy. That SIF thing. That, that was, <laughs> that was bizarre. That was like the man announces it. It's like in the high tens and it's a, what, what the guy, did he get the 13? I oh, think so. He the 13 and a couple on, on like no news. So, uh, maybe, maybe that guy, uh, little kitty or whatever his name is. Raging, yeah. raging kitty or something. Roaring yeah. kitty. Put some respect Ro- on Roaring his kitty. name. Roaring Ro- kitty. Raging kitty. God. <laughs> with that, with the, uh, headband in his yeah. mom's basement. <laughs> hey man. Chortling, chortling his diamond balls. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, I mean, people love that. Head. People, people texting me all day. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. That was, they love that headline. That was a good little piece there. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going to, we're going to continue to chortle our diamond balls here on the monkey business show. And, uh, next week I'm going to pitch to you guys right now. 
Can we get into, let's talk about dividends because I'm reading a couple yeah. articles uh, about how you can possibly retire on oh, yeah. investing sure. in dividends. So I want to well, dig into that a little deeper and perhaps maybe some weed stocks. So oh, weed. Maybe, maybe we'll do that next week, one or the other, maybe both. Um, definitely going to have to lean on you guys and you're just going to hold my hand through dividends and weed stocks. How about that? How's that sound? That's great. Sounds All good. Right. So that's what we're going to do next week then on the monkey business show. Thanks for joining us once again, subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen and send us an email. Any questions or comments, monkeybizshow at gmail.com. If you want to reach out to us and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks everybody. Thanks.